So the title today is Symphony or Cacophony. Uh, symphony, when the sound all works together, and cacophony, when it is a bad sound, literally. Uh, we're in Luke 20, um, and so I encourage you to have that text in front of you. Uh, we're going from the end of Luke 20 into Luke 21. Uh, we'll talk more about the drawing, and those are some links for the, uh, for the handouts. To make sense of this passage, um, I first want to, to give you a framework for thinking about Jesus coming to Jerusalem. So this is an ancient Jewish view of the world. If you start with that, that's that bottom circle, uh, this is God's world, right? God made the world. God owns the world. It is his. A subset of that is God's people. And so now we have God's people, Israel. And God, the whole world is his, but these are his people, right? This is a special possession for his. Within this people, there was a place called Jerusalem. And this was God's special city. And within the middle of that city, there was the place of God's active presence, and that was the temple. Right? So the whole world is God's. But you narrow it down, and in some sense, the temple is where God's presence is most powerfully felt and known. And so, when Jesus got there, there was a debate over the authority over the temple. Because if you have authority over the temple, you have authority over everything. Right? The whole creation now comes unto you because this is the place where God's presence is most clearly known. And so the question came up, is it Jesus or is it the Jewish religious leaders? And Jesus started this debate by action. He went in and he claimed authority. He cleared out the temple, right? This place where God's presence is most powerfully known and experienced. And he cleared it out and said, you're using it wrong. And then he told this parable about tenants of a vineyard who were using their vineyard wrong. It wasn't their vineyard. They were using it in wrong ways and said, you're, you're gone. I'm taking this vineyard away from you. So Jesus claimed, came and claimed this authority. And the religious leaders really tried to stop him. They were not happy because this is where they were in charge. So they questioned his authority. They raised questions about taxes and said, you can't talk about this publicly because everybody will be angry with you or we'll be able to get you arrested. They asked questions about the resurrection and marriage, and yet Jesus clearly demonstrated superiority in the temple. He said, I am in charge here. So much so that the last verse we looked at last week was, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> so that's it. We, any more questions, and it'll just get us in worse trouble. You have authority here. And then Jesus spoke and said, here's what I want you to know. Now, to understand Jesus' words, I just want to say a, a foundation for God's people. From a Jewish perspective, those who came earlier were greater. Now, in many cultures in the world, this is true today. Um, not very true in the United States, right? The old is gone, the new has come, right? We love verses like that. The, 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 the people who are older, well, you don't understand today's world anymore because it's a new thing, right? And so we often question what is older. But in Jewish society, as in many societies in the world today, the older are the honored ones. They're the greater ones. So this is why John the Baptist said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Right? What came before me is greater. It's more significant. So, from Jewish thinking, when they think about the foundations of who they are as a people, you go back to Abraham. Abraham was the one who received the first promises of 
this people. And God said, I'm going to make out of you a people. And you're going to bless the world. So he received the promises. And then, in a powerful way, Moses is the one who brought the law, who, who formed them as a people. And Moses was the foundation of going from these promises into the reality. And, and Aaron being connected then with Moses as being the one who started the priesthood. Aaron would be the greatest priest. And then, in terms of the kingdom, David was the one who started the kingdom. Right? He was the one who, who really made it the kingdom. Saul had been king, but David is the one who made it the kingdom that God wanted. So given these people, Abraham, Moses, and David, then we come to the promised Messiah. And from their point of view, the promised Messiah is the next one down this chain. And the Messiah, who is the son of David, his job was to restore what was lost, to get us back to what was promised. Right? Not, to, not to do something more, but to get us back to the promises to purify things, to get the kingdom, to, to get rid of the, the Roman authorities. Right? This is what they thought the Messiah would do. He was the next in line. So, here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to them, this is Luke 20, verse 41. Jesus said to them, Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can be his son? So stop there for a second. My first reading of this is like, this is really obscure. Right? Why does this, what does this help us with? Why does Jesus, here's his chance. He gets his opportunity to now speak, not by being debated with, but when he gets a chance to speak, he chooses to say this. Like, really? Is that what you choose to say? But I think these are powerful words. This expression, the Lord said to my Lord. So another way to understand it, David said, David's words, God said to the Messiah, who's my Lord. God is speaking to this Messiah who's going to come after me. But David says, he's my Lord. Right. So if we understand that David is the root of the kingdom of Israel, and their understanding is that David's son, the Messiah, would restore David's kingdom. And Jesus says, that's not quite right. Because the reality is, the Messiah is David's Lord. Right? The Messiah is before. He's bigger than David's kingdom. He is not coming just to restore David's kingdom. He is David's Lord. He's bigger than that. In fact, he is God. So let's look for a second at, at this psalm. And, and I'll just highlight a few things from it. He's quoting from Psalm 110. It's very clearly a psalm about the Messiah. And an interesting reality, uh, it's the most referenced psalm in the New Testament. The New Testament writers knew that this psalm was very important in understanding who Jesus was and who he is. And it starts with, the Lord says to my Lord. David writing says, God the Father says to this one who's the Messiah, who is my Lord. Right. So, so that word, that expression, my Lord, and and so he says he's greater than David. He also has this interesting expression that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a person that we don't know much about, except he came before Aaron's priesthood. He came before Abraham. He was bigger than Abraham. And the psalm says that this one, my Lord, he will be the one who will judge the nations. 
So this psalm very powerfully says this Messiah is not somebody underneath everybody who's come before. He is bigger than everybody who's come before. So if, if we look at this again, the foundations of God's people, they had Abraham and Moses and David, and that would lead down to the Messiah. Well, Psalm 110 says, actually, the Messiah starts being like Melchizedek, this high priest to whom Abraham submitted, who is greater than all that came after. And this Messiah was David's Lord. He was David's God. So here's what this psalm says. Jesus was before the promises to Abraham. Jesus was before the priesthood of Aaron. And Jesus was before the nation of Israel. He's not here to restore a nation. He's here for something far greater. So I think Jesus stood up and said, your understanding of the Messiah has a, a horrible flaw in it. Because you think the Messiah is here for your people. But, but here's the way he wants us to see. Jesus Christ, meaning Messiah, is king over everyone and everything. He's not the one to restore a kingdom. He's the one to establish the kingdom of God. Before Jesus was born as a baby, he was the creator of everything that is. Everything that is except God. And so Jesus is greater than everything and everyone else. They debated over what the Messiah would be like within their world, in their framework, in their nation. He says, you misunderstand. This one who comes as a son of David is the king over everyone and everything. And you fit within him, not him fitting within your structure and your model. Yet they were looking for someone to restore their kingdom. They were looking for somebody to make Israel what it used to be. To make Israel all that God had planned for it to be. He says, but Jesus is bigger than that, right? Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus had his chance to stand up in the temple, he says, here's how you need to understand me. I'm bigger than this temple. I'm bigger than this nation. I'm bigger than any nation. I am here to establish the kingdom of God because I am the son of God. So now... We have, I think, two illustrations of this in the text. Uh, the first illustration is people who don't get this right. People who misunderstand this. And then we have an example of someone who gets it right. In a, in a way, Jesus says, here is the worst example of how people deal with this. And here's the best example of how people deal with this, how they live with this. So, Luke 20, verse 45. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Nothing subtle here. <laughs> right? Very direct Jesus warns against the teachers of the law. And these are probably the people who have the highest honor. They're the ones who say, we can tell you what God has to say. We can explain it to you. We know better than you, so we'll tell you. Pretty easy to say, I ought to be a little nervous standing up here because I'm playing the role of that kind of thing, of saying, I'm trying to understand and to explain to you what God says. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm audience number one of the sermon today. Um, and I'm very aware of it. People who have the authority to stand in front of others. And so Jesus says, 
these are not good people. These here, these ones that are teaching about how the Messiah will fit into the kingdom of Israel, he says they're wrong. And so Jesus warned his disciples. But he did this very publicly. Because don't you love it? Well, all the people were listening. <laughs> this was not, oh, let me take you aside, teachers of the law, I'll explain, you're not quite getting it right. No, he says, I'm going to warn the disciples in front of everybody how awful they are. Well, all the people were listening. And, and he says, these are people who love what they get because of the role they're in. They love the honor they get. The people say, oh, is that, is that one of the teachers of the law? Oh, it's so good to see you. They would bow. And so it's such a good message. And, right? They loved that. The, the, the most important seats in the synagogues, right? These weren't the places to see the best. These are the places to be seen the best. <laughs> right? So it was, oh, look at them. They're important. They loved that. And then this challenging statement. Jesus said they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. And these are puzzling things. We're not told much about them, but they might be connected. That widows who needed help and perhaps they wanted people to pray for them. And so they would give, they would lose things. And, and the longer the prayer, the better it was worth, the more it was worth and they would get more somehow. They weren't just enjoying the praise of people. They were oppressing people. And they weren't just enjoying the praise of people. They manipulated God to increase their praise. And Jesus said, these men will be punished most severely. Maybe you know John 10.10 10, that, that Jesus says, I, I came that they have, might, might have life and have it abundantly. Same word. <laughs> he came that these men would be punished and that they would be punished abundantly. <laughs> he says, this is really serious what they are doing. He confronts them in the temple. He says, these men, the ones who are most highly honored by God's people and in the temple. But Jesus says they didn't use their lives to honor God. Rather, they used God to serve themselves. They tried to manipulate the laws of God, the people of God, to get what they wanted. And Jesus declared that they will be judged more than anyone else. So if we think of this way of understanding God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is king over everything and everyone. So here's a prime example of evil, Jesus said. Powerful religious people who try to use God to serve themselves and their people and their nation. Powerful religious people who say, we can use God and what he said to help us, to help our people, to serve ourselves. Jesus gave this as a prime example because these are people who are going to be judged severely. Eventually, right? they were continuing to enjoy these things at the time, but Jesus said the day will come when they will be judged most severely, more than just about anyone else, because they've tried to use God to serve themselves. So that's a prime example of evil. I think now the next verse gives us a prime example of good. So Luke 21, verse 1, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. 
after condemning these most powerful people that everybody praised, Jesus pointed out a poor widow. A poor widow who these two coins are worth something like a hundredth of a day's work. You take a day's work, you cut it by, make it to 1%. She had that. That's all she had, and she put that in. She said, I'll give that to God. And Jesus said, look at that poor widow. She has put in more than all the others. She is to be honored more than everybody else. She was deeply dishonored by God's people and in the temple. He said, oh, she's just a widow. And can't even find the coins she put in there. Might pat her on the head and say, isn't it sweet? But then say it's useless, right? We need the rich people to put money in. She was dishonored by God's people and in the temple. And yet she used everything she had, everything she had to honor God. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't state the blessing. But it's clear he intended that we would know that she will be blessed more than anyone else. Right, so Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is king over everyone and everything. And we have this prime example of evil in the religious leaders, the powerful. And Jesus says, so here, let me give you a prime example of good. This is your hero. This poor widow who gives everything to Jesus. This poor widow who trusts Jesus for everything. And she will be wondrously blessed. Eventually. We're not told she went home that day and looked in her in her, her purse and all of a sudden there was a bunch of money he got she got home. We're not told that. But eventually, Jesus said, she will be blessed. Because he says, I want to give you perfect examples, great examples of people who recognize Jesus as king, who recognize God as king. He says the religious leaders are a horrible example, exactly wrong. And this poor widow is exactly right. So if Jesus is king over everything and everyone, evil is trying to use God to pursue our agenda. Trying to manipulate God to say, you help me with my kingdom. You help me with my things. And the good is using our lives to serve God. To give him what is valuable to us, rather than trying to figure out how to get what we value from him. So the application, it's, it's very simple. It's to submit to Jesus as king over everything. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek him before even you're seeking your daily needs. Seek him. Seek him more than you seek your own kingdom, your own people, your your own career. Seek him first. And as Jesus taught, whenever we seek his kingdom first, he will bless Eventually, we don't know what way or how, but Jesus said, mark my words, that widow is the hero. She is the one who will be most honored. But whenever we seek our kingdom first, we will pay a high price. Eventually, Jesus said, find the people who look great, but they're actually manipulating things to serve themselves. They will be judged. Right, when we try to seek our kingdom first, it won't work, first of all. We can't use God's tools to make our kingdom better and have it work. But he will also judge. And so clearly this applies to saying, if we seek our kingdom first, we say, well, I'm going to seek Jesus, but you know, I really have to take care of the bank account for retirement. 
So I'm going to do that, and then if there's some left over, then, yeah, seek Jesus. I've really got to pay attention to my career. Right? This is really important. It's a lifelong thing. And so I struggle with how do I fit that and Jesus being first in my life? Well, how about we set them side by side, we think. In relationships, for our own country. right? And this is where nationalism just doesn't make sense in Christianity. Right? You can't say he's on, on the side of our country. That's what they were doing, and they were the promised people. Jesus said the Messiah is not the Son as much as he's the Lord. He's bigger. He's greater. And it's true for a church. And sadly, the church has done this over and over again. We say, how can we use the ways of God to build our church? And what a mess that is. That's what the religious leaders were doing. And that's what we must not do. But here's a beautiful thing in this. Every person has equal opportunity to give Jesus everything. Right? Every person. A poor widow, a rich ruler, and everybody in between. We all have equal opportunity to give Jesus everything. You don't have to have a lot to give him everything. And the reality is, the more you have, very often, the harder it may be to give. And this is why Jesus said, it's really hard for rich people to get into the kingdom. Because they figure, I could just give a portion and that'll be good. And he said, no, what you want is to be like this widow who gave everything. So every person has equal opportunity to do this. But there is a deep warning in this, right? This warning, don't try to use Jesus to help with our agenda. Of course, you know the idea of being used. Um, This is to be treated as a means to an end while denying our humanity. Um, I have an elementary school story. Uh, Elementary school was an interesting time for me, uh, interesting in a very loose word. I found it pretty challenging and uh, struggled to make friends. Uh, But there were some guys who invited me to a birthday party, and I thought, this is great. Finally, somebody is paying attention to me, and I was invited to a party with friends. And then they said, oh, by the way, could you bring the cake? (laughs) And at a young age, I realized I was being used. They didn't care about me. They were poking fun at me. And they thought, I can get you to do this. And then we don't have to worry about it, right? And, and, and oh, you know, it worked out. My mom was so kind and went to know the area, build apps. She got a build apps cake, and we took it. And, but at that age, I realized I was being used, right? Denying my humanity, denying, denying that I was a person who mattered. They thought, how can we use this person for our purposes? And sadly... This is at the root of so much of sexual sin. So much of sexual sin says, this this person, I'm going to deny their personhood and use them to get what I want and deny the reality of, of who they are made in the image of God. And this is one of the roots of slavery that says, here's someone and I'm going to deny the reality of them being made in the image of God and say, I'm going to use you for my purposes to build my kingdom. Being treated as a means to an end to be used is just a horrible thing. And so here's the shock. They were treating God, and sometimes we treat Jesus as a means to an end 
while denying his divinity. We think we could use him to get what we want, what we need, and deny the fact that he's God, and we answer to him. Right? They tried to use God to serve themselves. They tried to use God to serve their nation, their, their power, their pride, their greed. They say, oh, we, you're so, the law says you're supposed to, to have clothing that, that demonstrates how serious you are in following God. So we could use that to get people to think we're really good. We could use that to get people to praise us. They tried to use God to serve themselves. And this is especially a warning for those who have religious power or status. Right? What a challenge, challenging word this is for anyone who makes a living related to the kingdom of God. For anyone who is who's a musician for the kingdom of God, who's a speaker, who's an author, for anyone in those roles. Because this is what the people were doing. I don't think they started out saying, how could we do that? But they got a taste for it. And they say, well, we could manipulate the situation. So this will be good for us. The reality is we all do it, right? We all can do this for our kingdom, right? We, we all have a kingdom of our pride, our, our ministry, our job, our family, our nation, whatever it is. And we say, I bet we could use the things of God to build this up. And sometimes we can make it look so good but it's actually serving our pride. Jesus warned them and he warns us, don't try to use Jesus to help with our agenda. Do we really think that God can be fooled and manipulated? (laughs) He is not tricked. God will not be mocked. So, uh, drawing of uh, a string quartet here. You can see the string quartet where they are working together uh, in harmony. When people submit to the conductor, it makes a beautiful sound. And so this is the symphony. And literally, symphony is sound together. Right? So, going from that to this drawing, and I would love your, your thoughts. What, what do you see that's different about this drawing? What do you notice? Yeah. There's paper the yeah, the music is kind of getting left aside. It's falling down. The score is not there. What else? Good. What else do you see? People are fighting. People are fighting. Yeah, the the, uh, the bow for their their, their instrument is now sword play. Yeah, not that anybody would do that in the world, would they? Right? Go from using the instruments for good to, to hurting each other. What else do you see? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, not much teamwork. Can you see what the person over here standing in the chair is doing? It's exactly. This is a competing conductor. The alternative. Uh, and how about this person in the chair up here? Probably the beat of his own drummer. <laughs> Probably the beat of his own drummer, show, showboating perhaps, saying, look at me, and it's still music, right? Not following the conductor brings cacophony, right? And literally, cacophony is bad sound. Following Jesus as king brings a symphony of beautiful music. And, and this is true individually, Right? So often, when we try to manipulate things for our kingdom, we do it poorly, and we end up making horrible noise. But if we will individually submit to Jesus, and to say, you rule, you tell me how to balance these things, it makes a symphony. And this is true collectively. Right? At all levels, when a group of people say, let's listen to that voice together, we'll follow him, this makes a symphony, and a beautiful thing about a symphony 
is when the instruments are all different. And yet, they fit together well when we follow the conductor. But not following Jesus, the king, brings a cacophony. And this is true individually. Right? Our individual lives end up in chaos because we're, we're trying to manipulate and manage it ourselves without following the king. And we see it especially collectively when we aren't following together. And, and this is true in relationships, it's true in family, it's true in a church, it's true in a society. So why would we be surprised when there is chaos and noise and conflict when we aren't following the king? Right? We are to submit to Jesus as king over everything. And when we do that, it does make for a beautiful song, a beautiful sound. And we are to be boldly confident in Jesus as king over everything. Boldly confident. It's amazing. This widow is my hero. Right? She's to be our hero. She trusted God completely with all her money. You realize how important it is? She gave two coins. It would have been pretty easy to keep one of them. Say, half my, half my money? That's certainly a lot to give God. She said, no, I'm giving him all of it. I'm giving him everything I have. She trusted God completely with everything she has. And what did we just hear about the religious leaders? What did they do with widows? They steal from them. She trusted God completely, even when the temple leaders were corrupt. She is amazing to have that much trust in God when she knew what people are like. And so Jesus said, here should be, you know, put up a poster. Slam dunk basketball, you know, the, the, the final putt. And whatever you do, put, put up your heroes. You say, put that on the wall to remind yourself. He says, put this widow up in her two coins. And let that be your hero. Jesus highly honored her and said, we should do the same. And yet the challenge is that Jesus does not visibly enforce his authority now. He didn't then and there change the temple. It went on for a generation before it got destroyed. Jesus doesn't often visibly enforce his authority. Yet he said one day he will. One day, his authority will be enforced completely. And so he says, will you trust me for that? Because those who trust in him will never end up disappointed. They'll never be disappointed for having done this when it unfolds the way God intends. So we're to submit to Jesus as king over everything, to be boldly confident in Jesus as king, and to do this with joy. Because Jesus submitted to his father completely and perfectly. Right? So in one way it is the widow who is our hero, but our real hero is Jesus, the Son of God. He obeyed what the Father commanded in everything. His entire life, everything that he had. He did what he saw his father doing. What the father did, he also did, as, as we heard in the scripture reading today. He followed his father in everything. He obeyed even to death yet then rose again to life. And it's because of this, he brings immeasurable blessing to all who will trust in him as king. In their mindset, they had a kingdom, they had an understanding of the world, and they thought the Messiah would come and clean it up. And sometimes, we have an understanding of our lives, and we think, well, Jesus, would you come and clean up my life? And he says, well, actually, what I'd like to do is to transform your life 
to be a loved part of my kingdom. Because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the king over everyone and everything. The evil is to try to use God to pursue our agenda. The good is to use our lives, every part of it, to serve our God. Jesus said, seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things. He'll take care of it. He'll work the rest of that out. Let's pray. Give you a moment of silence just to reflect, to listen to the Spirit, to speak in silence to our God. Jesus, we thank you for your authority as king. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for pointing out this widow and her two tiny coins. Father, we thank you for the people that we know who may have so little, and yet they give it to you. Help us to honor them. Help us to, to follow their example. And Father, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage to, to give you all that we are, to trust you with every bit of it, not just a part, but all of it, and then trust you in your goodness to do your work, to care for us. And Spirit, would you bring conviction when we are trying to use the ways of God to make our kingdom better? We're sorry. We ask that you would try to transform us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the perfect model because you are our Lord and our Savior. And so we give praise to you and recognize in you alone do we have hope. We thank you that you are king over all, that you are good and that you are kind. And we thank you for your death and your resurrection that give us life even when we fall so far short of the model you've given us. So we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen.